regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. What if you have an amazing online course and you've put together just an irresistible offer? You've even built this just really awesome and killer funnel. Maybe you're using a, a really awesome webinar to sell, to, to present your offer and to sell your course, but you have no traffic. Does it really matter that you have all the other parts if you don't have any traffic? And I would say, for the most part, no. I mean, it matters in the fact that you can just go add awesome traffic sources, and then you've got a a mostly complete online course business. But if you never add the traffic piece, then it really doesn't matter very much. A lot of people struggle with this traffic piece, and maybe a podcast isn't for you. Maybe YouTube isn't for you. Maybe blogging isn't for you. Maybe long-form content in general is not for you. But what's working really well right now is short-form content. And specifically on Instagram, I've been seeing more and more course creators be very, very successful with their online course business, and they have really their only traffic source as Instagram. So if you're curious how people like that are doing, this is the episode for you. Because today we're talking to an Instagram expert, coach. Her name is Allie Mason from Something Greater Social. And let me quickly tell you how I got introduced to Allie. Many months ago, I started coaching a gentleman that some of you are familiar with because his name seems to come up one way or another on just about every episode. His name is Spencer Russell. He was on back in episode 181. And Spencer and I worked together for three months. And his traffic source was Instagram. But a lot of his Instagram he had built up using advertising, Instagram ads, he had built up a following of about 10,000 followers on Instagram. So he was making some course sales because he had a really good funnel. He had an awesome, uh, he had an awesome offer and awesome course, uh, great testimonials and everything. So he's making some sales. He was succeeding to some level. And so by the time we stopped working together, he had a pretty respectable online course business, but Spencer is very driven and he's always looking for for coaching in the area that he needs most. And once we were finished working together, he knew he really needed to work on that traffic piece. And for him, his audience was already on Instagram, so he hired an Instagram coach specifically. And Allie Mason is who he hired. And over just a few months after that, Spencer's following grew from 10,000 followers to over 140,000 followers. But more importantly, it has helped him to, I mean, I'm not going to give you his exact numbers, but he's been doing insanely well selling a $200 course on teaching toddlers to read. It's not even a money-making course at all, and it's uh, he's not charging very much for it, but the the quantity of units he is selling is insane. And up until recently, all of his traffic was coming from Instagram. He's recently started a YouTube channel, and he's branching out to diversify, but Instagram has been really helpful for him. 
And Allie Mason's advice on Instagram has been insanely helpful as well. I've been applying a lot of what Ali has been sharing with me as well. We've started the online course guy Instagram, and that has seen some pretty rapid growth. And we're about to start ramping up the piano in 21 days Instagram as well. And we recently had Ali come on to our uh, private coaching program to do an Instagram specific workshop for us as well. And that was really, really cool. And, and several people inside of OCG coaching are seeing some great results from Instagram as well. We have one guy that's gone from 60,000 followers to well over 140,000 followers, but more importantly, leading to actual course sales as well. So I'll tell you more about that uh, on the back end. Uh, but for now, let's let's start to get into the conversation with Ali. She dropped some absolute knowledge bombs for us about social media and more specifically Instagram. She talked about how to get started on Instagram. She talked about how to scale if you already have Instagram. But she talked about how to use Instagram as like not the the end result, right? The, the goal is not followers. The goal is not interactions. The goal for us is course sales. So how do we use Instagram as a tool to help generate course sales down the road? And of course, we also talked about repurposing content and how you could do that. If you're gonna go through the effort of making, say, a 60-second Instagram Reel video and make it super high quality, can you use that in other places as well? So we certainly cover that topic too. So that being said, let's jump into the full conversation between myself and Allie. Hey, Allie, how are you? I'm good, Jack. How are you? Good. Um, so like when you were a little girl, did you always dream of being like an Instagram coach? Instagram did not exist when I was a little girl. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> no, I mean, 2012, I think, or 2011 was when I started my first Instagram account. Um, when I was little, the first thing I remember wanting to be was actually a lawyer, which is very different than what I'm doing now. Um, but I actually have a fairly unconventional career path and somehow all of it has wound up influencing the way that I do my work and actually having like a, uh, everything that I've learned so far has impacted the way in which I show up in my business. So yeah. even the stuff like being an anthropologist, like I studied anthropology in my BA, um, I did archaeology for two years. I worked in government. I did legislative research. I was a statistical officer for the government of Alberta. I was in journalism for several years. I did a lot of writing. I wrote reports. I wrote articles. I did a ton of editing. And all of that has really given me a super um, diverse background of writing styles to pull from, as well as understandings of how the world works and how humans work. There, uh, I don't know that there's any like shortage of, of like Instagram coaches, if you will. No. Um, what, what makes you different? Other than, think, other than all these experiences yeah. <laughs> and all these great things you just mentioned, but in terms of like how you coach somebody or, or just your, yeah. your business in general, what really sets you apart? I think it is my past career as a yoga teacher. Oddly enough, I mean, you wouldn't maybe draw the parallel, but working with people in small groups and um, working with people on this real kind of mental, biological, physical level, diving deep into neuroscience, neuroplasticity, the way fears show up for people when they are starting to pursue social media as a, a channel to drive revenue. There's a lot of 
beliefs that come up that people bump up against. There's a lot of, uh, you know, limiting beliefs. There is a lot of challenge with showing up and being the face of your business that people don't necessarily expect. But having had experience as a yoga teacher, it helps me come to the work with a little bit more humanity and understanding for the people and what they are personally struggling with and helps me help them see a path forward. Because the thing about coaching, I'm sure you uh, kind of resonate with is it's not about me telling you what to do. It's about me giving you the skills and the kind of guidelines of how to make the most of what you are trying to accomplish and then help you create your own way forward that works best for you and that's sustainable and that helps meet your goals. You know, I can offer guidance, but I'm not there to be kind of, uh, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people call me a guru. Mm, but is the word coach okay? Because I've, I've just coach assumed cool. that that's like your, that's your title, Instagram coach. Is that what you refer to yourself as? It's accurate. Yes. Okay, we're not Instagram <laughs> guru. No, we're not. Please gonna... no, never. Okay. okay. <laughs> not a, I'm it. not a ninja. I'm not a rock star, social media guru. We get all of these for some reason, people love Maven? HR. Loves that's another one. Yeah, yeah. HR loves putting it in social media job role descriptions. <laughs> How so, coach? That's the word we're going yes. with. How long have you coach. been an Instagram coach? Since I mean, if we go all the way back to when I first started my social media management business, because this has been an element of the work that I've done for as long that I've as I've done this work, even when I was doing full done for you social media management packages. Um, so that would be like 2013. Uh, it was an element of the work back then. So I was doing a lot of work, not doing coaching, but the more time I spent in it, the more I realized people really needed it. And the more I realized I was really good at it and I really enjoyed it. So that was when I kind of around 2018 was when I really pivoted and I ended up hiring to bring someone else on to do more of the content creation and the kind of in the weeds, social media management of being on the apps and managing comments and all of that kind of stuff. Um, And I really stepped out of that day-to-day in the weeds role and moved more to a higher level of strategy, coaching, um, and that kind of thing. What is it? I mean, that's an interesting conversation in terms of like, agency type work versus like consulting and coaching type work. Mm -hmm. And I think in general, people probably prefer the latter. Um, At the end of the day, why do you think that is? Or answer just for you if you want. Yeah, I I think one thing that people and anyone who tries to run their own social media will probably agree, running social media accounts is exhausting. Mm. It is a job that is difficult to enforce boundaries with. It uh, is a job that is really difficult to turn off. Um, it's something that many people don't realize how much goes into until they're doing it for themselves. People think it's easy that they can just hire their nephew to come in and run their social media account and it'll be great and fine. And as a result, a lot of social media managers who do full service work Uh, find that they are consistently devalued, undervalued. Um, It's a really difficult job to have. And so I think if you are the type of person, there's different types of social media managers, right? I know 
the way my brain works and the experience I have, I'm a little bit more of a visionary, right? So when a client comes to me and they tell me, you know, these are the problems I am having, these are the things I want to achieve, I can see the path forward for them and help guide them down it to create kind of a step-by-step process to get them there. Not every social media manager is going to feel that way. Some social media managers are not strategists. Um, And that's another kind of like confusion, I guess, within the industry is that a lot of people don't really understand what it is that social media managers do. And that's really clear just by the number of people who I've spoken to in the past who've, you know, applied to work with me and have ended up kind of without saying it, saying that they want you to do even more than what the job even entails. Oftentimes, social media managers will have people want to work with them and then they'll say, oh, and can you run my email list? And do you do SEO? Can you update my blogs? Like literally, it never... People think anything that happens on the computer is the job of a social media manager and it's not. Um, But as a result, it becomes very exhausting explaining that to people. (laughs) So I think for the people who are strategy oriented and who have more of that kind of visionary approach to the way that they do their work, um, moving into that consulting and strategy role where it's also, I think, a representation of as you get more experience, you realize what you're really good at. And when you realize what you're really good at, it's easier to like kind of hone in and focus on that so that you're really leaning into the things that you feel are kind of your zone of genius and not distracting yourself with all of the other things. And I think that's where, where people tend to pivot. They either go into that agency model where they're hiring other people to do more of this work and, and the the jobs that maybe they don't feel are their zone of genius, um, or they pivot in the other direction and then they pursue coaching and consulting. I have done both because I thought that the agency was where I wanted to go, but I learned over the course of probably the next three years that that really wasn't, the agency life wasn't for me. (laughs) I don't want to be an agency owner. I love doing coaching and consulting. That's like my thing. I agree. I agree. Okay. So as, as the coach, um, people come to you and I'm sure they like, I'm sure you want to get on the same page with them in terms of their goals, right? Mm -hmm. You want to, um, engage, you want to, you want to do this Instagram thing, but why, right? What are the, what are some of the goals that people come to you with? Cause I imagine for the most part, it's not increase my followers. There's more to it than that. Well, interestingly, a lot of people do come to me with the goal of increasing their followers, but what they don't realize is the reason there's like a belief underneath that. Right. And so again, this is kind of where the, the mindset stuff from having done so much work in the yoga world really comes into play and learning about all of those other things is that their goal, they might say, Oh, well, I want 10,000 followers or I want 50,000 followers or a hundred thousand followers. But then we have to ask why. And 99% of the time, the reason why they want 100,000 followers or however many followers they want is because they correlate a high number of followers to revenue goals. People think, if I have this many followers, I will be able to sell this many courses, or I will be able to enroll this many people, or I will be able to coach this many people, uh, or work with this many different clients. Um, The interesting thing is for the first seven years of my agency, I didn't have an agency social media account. (laughs) I ran tons of accounts for clients, close to 45. 
Yep. No, not even. This is, this is actually what I think is the, um, the mindset shift that most people need, because if you're doing a really great job at what you do, you should be able to build out referral work before you even have a social media presence. And if you have a strong referral work, then social media will always be one of those things that is going to add to what you already have instead of becoming everything that you have, which, you know, from a business perspective, because I really look at the way that people's uh, businesses work, not just on social media, but holistically, um, you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. If you're only getting enrollment from social and you're not getting any referrals, to me, that actually says something about the value or quality of your product. Uh, and that might be something to look at, right? So, but you do get, I mean, this is a, this is an audience of course graders and aspiring mm-hmm. course graders. So yeah. you do work with people. I mean, I know, I know one in particular, um, <laughs> which by the way, Spencer Russell, you know, we both know him and he, like, people are still talking about that episode. It, the, his story just <laughs> really resonates with people. It's incredible. I'll get people new to the podcast. And they're like, by the way, I, th- I love that episode with Spencer. But you mm-hmm. worked with Spencer um, to, to, I guess, his goal was to sell more courses, right? Yes. So mm-hmm. did he make it clear that that was his goal? And then from there, like, what what were you yeah. guys focused on? Because you you didn't, you probably didn't coach him much on his funnel or his checkout process or anything no. like that. You coached him on the in- Instagram side of things. Exactly. So yeah. for a course creator, like, what are some high level things that you would co- coach them on in terms of trying to have the goal of selling more courses? Yeah. So the biggest thing that I find with people who have courses is that there is a disconnect between the course material and the social media content itself. So what people are seeing on social media doesn't always line up with what the modules of the course are or the kind of specifics about what they learn. And the other thing that people get really concerned about with courses is giving too much away for free. And as a result, they end up withholding too much so that people can't kind of get that trust. They can't earn trust. And it results in people not converting and not buying the course. So there is this kind of, it's a a fear-based mentality, right? That like, if I share too much on social, people are just going to take what I teach them on social and they're never going to buy my course. I have found that it is almost entirely the opposite. Um, It seems to me from all of the course creators I've worked with, and Spencer is only one and probably the most successful of the several that I have worked with. um, The more you give away, the more likely people are to actually buy the course because they think, you know, wow, if this person is being this generous for free, I can only imagine what the value that I'm going to get is from this course. So of course, there's a certain level of, you can't give away everything, obviously, in the course, but you also have to think about the way in which people consume content on Instagram. And if you are creating content in a non-linear way, right, you're posting one day from module one and one day from module eight and another day from module 10, then the likelihood of somebody being able to piece all of those pieces of content together to create the, because it's not just the course information, it's the system, right? Like it's understanding the process from this, the, you know, preamble of the course all the way to the end and and wrapping things up. If they can't kind of patchwork 
and reverse engineer all of your posts together, the likelihood of them ever achieving the level of success that they would by going through the course is like slim to none. So I always tell people, don't worry about it. Like give away as much as you want. It's a, it's a major concern too. It's, it's uh, and it, cause I give the same advice as well mm-hmm. because I mean, I was recently going through an Instagram, uh, uh, I guess it's not channel. That's YouTube, like Instagram page. Is that what it's mm-hmm. called? Profile? Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Either one works really. Okay. <laughs> I always want to say channel cause I'm more in the YouTube world, but I was going through some, uh, in a, in a like niche I was interested in learning more about. And there was a lot of great content and I was soaking up a bunch of reels and carousels, um, but it was it was very disjointed. It was like this one little tiny topic here, over here, and this one little tiny topic over here. And ended up I ended up clicking through over to this person's like website and funnel, and they have a course on the topic that is not disjointed. It's an A to Z system to take you from you know where you are today to some dream outcome. And it's like mm-hmm. it's the appeal is so much different, even though it didn't seem like he was holding back in any way on what was on Instagram versus what's in his course is just like over here is this nice, elegant package. That's going to get you the result as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on Instagram, it's like fruit salad, like <laughs> it's, it's all mixed up fruit salad. It's all mixed up. <laughs> yes. So bad food analogy. <laughs> well, I didn't know where we, that we could go that it's delicious, that it like, it's good for you. I don't know. Looks nice but- in the bowl. <laughs> So let's talk about like what to post. Um, it, you, you, you came on and did a, a workshop for our um, higher, uh, um, what do I want to call it? Like our high ticket program um, mm-hmm. insiders. And I learned a lot from you in that presentation. Um, one of the biggest takeaways I think I've got from that presentation that I wasn't thinking a lot about before was the idea of content pillars. That was really interesting is that you don't necessarily have to think about your content from the perspective of your entire brand, but break it down to like, I think you said four to six content pillars, yeah. or um, I've also heard it described as buckets. Yep. And and then uh, just kind of rotate among those four to six in terms of what you actually post. That was great. But I think Instagram can still be extremely overwhelming for the average person in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, do I do a picture or a video or or multiple pictures or do I do a story or this and that? And I've like, tell me what you think about this. I've I've kind of taken your information. I'm like, how can how can I you know simplify this down and and use a system that works for for me and my team? I'm not using any hashtags, mm-hmm. um, and we are we are mainly just doing reels and like Twitter carousels. Uh, yeah. and that's, that's about it. And when I, I, the audience might not completely understand the Twitter carousel thing, but that's just like multiple images of just like text with like my image and like Twitter handle or Instagram handle. It, it's not even a Twitter post. I'm, I'm using Canva to make it, but I think that's what the industry calls them is these Twitter carousels. Yeah. Um, so I'm using those two, uh, like surfaces, I guess you would call them not doing mm-hmm. a lot of stories, probably should do more stories, but other than that, like doing it as frequently as I can, does that sound okay? I mean, is it ideal? Probably not. Um, is it okay? Yeah. If it's, if it's feeding your business, if it's maintaining your community online and if people are still responding to it, the thing about, any, any strategy, right. Is that it needs to meet your goals, but it also needs to be sustainable for you. So if you are end up posting more, but you're burning yourself out, you are, you know, distracted from other parts of your business where you are 
integral to, for that area to function, right? If you're, you know, choosing to work on a post instead of working on like, I don't know, some update for your course or some follow-up for your um, high-ticket folks, then that's a problem, right? Social, and this is why I always say like, you know, social media really needs to have uh, other places where you are getting some of this traffic from or other income from. Like the referral sources, like, I really have to go back to it because you wouldn't believe the number of times that I've heard someone come into a session with me and say, you know, I, I just, I feel like I could be doing so much more because all I'm getting is referral traffic. And I'm like, so you mean you don't pay, these people are paying you money and then they're going and telling other people about what you do. And then those people are coming and, t- and, and giving you money. That's all you've got. <laughs> that's a, like, that's a great thing. So, um, you know, social media to me, as much as I would love for everyone to be able to, you know, do exactly the strategy that's going to get them the most, uh, impact or, or the best results. Um, it always has to keep in mind that like, there are just individual human people running these accounts. Most of these small businesses, and especially when you are, you know, starting out as a course creator, you probably don't have a team, right? Like it's you and you doing all of the work. And if you're adding to that, this expectation that you need to post every day, twice a day, and you need to hit these goals and you need to use every format and you need to go live and you need to go live with three friends and you need to, you know, eventually what happens is, and this is where the nervous system stuff and the neuroscience comes in, your nervous system is going to get completely dysregulated and you're either going to shut down or you're going to procrastinate Mm -hmm. and you're not going to get any of it done. So it's like, which is better? Would you rather post three times a week or two times a week and just post a reel and a, a Twitter carousel? Or would you rather post nothing because you're attempting to do, you know, you maybe you can maintain it for two weeks. You post every day for two weeks and then you disappear for three months, you know, because your nervous system is like, what is going on? I can't even handle this. Since, um, I've been trying to, so I've got two brands, right? I've got, and, and so I've got mm-hmm. two Instagram accounts. I've got Piano in 21 Days. I've got the Online Course Guy. Piano in 21 Days account I created years and years and years ago. The Online Course Guy account is 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 basically brand new. And so since since I've started following your stuff, um, I have 10 posts, 171 followers. Uh, last time I talked to you, we were like 80. So I, I was Wow, you've like, like doubled. <laughs> yeah. Um, 10 posts, uh, most of which are reels. The highest, uh, view reel has gotten 15,000 views. That's um, great. the, so we're getting a little bit of traction, but mm-hmm. I noticed that the reels for the most part have performed well. And then like the Twitter carousels, like they get like six likes and no followers. Should I just drop those? Why is the engagement so much lower on those? So it has to do with the format itself. Um, so reels is actually predominantly shown to non-followers. So we actually have, you know, right. We have the reels tab. And when you tap on a reel and you make it go full screen, you go into an auto scrolling feature kind of feed on Instagram. So what happens when people are in those feeds is they are shown content from new creators who they don't follow yet and who they might be interested in. 
So sometimes what happens is we see those reels, right? They they get like 15,000 views, Um, but maybe they don't have great engagement, right? I don't know. I'm not on your account right now. I don't know how many likes or comments that post has, but say it has 15, hypothetical, say it has 15,000 views, but it has 88 likes, right? Making it up. I don't know what it has, but that can sometimes happen for a couple of reasons. Number one is you have to remember that Instagram wants us to use it. And Instagram wants us to spend as much time on the app as possible. So sometimes you are going to have things happen to your content that are going to give you the dopamine hit that you need to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. So what some options for that are it gets featured in the Reels tab. So I've kind of done some testing on this with my own account where after I post a reel, I'll go to the reels tab and I'll see if my reel is the first or second reel in that reels tab. I don't like, it doesn't happen every single time, but sometimes it does. And if I see my own reel in my reels tab after I post it, then I know that that reel is probably going to get boosted by Instagram by being featured in the reels tab. So that sets my expectation of like, Hey Allie, guess what? This reel might not perform very well in terms of engagement, but you will get a high number of views because Instagram has decided that it's going to put it at the top of the reels tab for a select number of people on Instagram. And I don't know what that number will be, but usually that's when you see, you know, you post a reel and within the first 20 minutes, you already have like 2000 views on it. That's because it got featured on the reels tab. Some other ways that you can get really high views, but not great engagement is if someone with a big following shares your reel in their story. So say, for example, we have Spencer, right? We all know Spencer, right? Um, So Spencer has like 130 something thousand followers on Instagram. If Spencer shares one of my reels in his story, knowing his story engagement, I'm going to expect anywhere from say one to 5,000 extra views just from him sharing it to his story. Because every time someone views his story with my reel in it, it counts as a view, even if they don't tap through. Mm. So they may never engage with the, with the reel because they will never tap through on the reel but that will still count as a view. And then the last thing is if you use trending sounds. So if you happen to post a reel with a trending sound, like a song or, you know, the funny voiceovers that people use or lip syncs, um, if the sound is still trending upward, you caught it kind of early in the growth of that or use of that audio clip, you can have a lot of views come from other people going through that audio, um, like going through the audio clip itself to look for examples of how to use the reel. So they might be just scrolling through that sound to think like, Hmm, how am I going to use this for my business? And they'll see your reel and they'll watch it. And anything, I believe it's three milliseconds or less counts as a play. That's not very much time. It's literally like swiping, even if they did not like, it's, it's very, 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 very small. And that number is in your insights. So if you go through and you tap through all the little information, um, pop-ups that are in your insights, it'll tell you what, how to measure a play or how a play is measured. Cool. So you've, you've encouraged me about my non-real posts, um, real R-E-E-L, because what I'm hearing is that reels themselves, these short form vertical videos are 
way more discoverable by non-followers. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. my like more static photo posts, in this case, Twitter carousels, that's more for my actual followers. Mm-hmm. And so since I've only got 171 followers, that's why I'm getting so much lower engagement on that. Exactly. So this one post, for as an example, I'm clicking view insights. We had, it says accounts reached 80, mm-hmm. accounts engaged 11. Yeah. So that, to putting it in perspective, that actually sounds halfway decent now. Yeah. Because we're looking at it also as a percentage, right? So you always want to calculate your engagement by percentage. So it's your total followers, wait, the total amount of engagement divided by your total followers times 100. And that's how you calculate an engagement rate. Hold on. I'm going to write that down. Tell me again. Yeah. (laughs) So it's the total engagement on the post that we all interactions, likes, comments, saves, and shares divided by your total number of followers times 100. And that'll give you a percentage engagement rate. And what's a good and target for, for that? First, it depends on how many followers you have. So the larger your account is, the less your, the smaller your engagement rate is. Um, and that's for a variety of reasons. But for new accounts, I would say anywhere from 10 to 20% engagement on a post is going to be like great. Uh, once you get into the 2,000 to 5,000 range, you're looking at somewhere between 8 to 10%. 5,000 to 10,000 is anywhere between four and 8%. And then once you get up into kind of the 20s, 30s, 40s and above, I usually try to get my clients to aim for somewhere between two and 4%, but the more realistic number is actually below 2%. Um, okay. And real quick for the audience's sake, if somebody's not familiar, they're like, who's the Spencer guy you guys keep talking about? Um, Spencer, you can find his account uh, at Toddlers Can Read. And he was on episode 181 of the podcast earlier this year. Um, So check that out. Uh, Okay. Should, Should all course creators consider Instagram or is there somebody who like wouldn't be a good fit for it? I think it depends on who your audience is. So the reason why I think Instagram is great for course creators is because they really emphasize educational content in the way that they support creators. So even thinking about it from the perspective of, uh, you know, comparing it to TikTok or to comparing it to Twitter, right? You only have so much you can do on both of those platforms because TikTok is only video. Twitter is only text. You can add some images, but it's like you know, four per tweet. And it's just not necessarily as helpful for someone who is trying to demonstrate their authority in the same way that a course creator is. Instagram has so many features. And in some ways, this is the overwhelming part, right? Because you can go live, you have stories, you can go live with multiple people, you have carousel posts, you have static images, you have reels. Um, And then there's guides, which I don't know if anyone is honestly even using still, um, or if they're planning on doing anything with those, but those are basically like, if you wanted to put together like a catalog of your favorite posts, or if you wanted to categorize things, uh, you could do that using guides. But as a result, you can kind of have more forms of expression to show people how good you are at what you do. Right. And so for example, uh, the only reason why I would say also like maybe not Instagram is if your audience generally trends older or generally trends much younger. There's still not a good enough reason to not be on Instagram because 
even for Gen Z, for example, uh, I can't remember the exact stats, but it's somewhere in the tens or hundreds of millions of Gen Zers are, are on Instagram still, right? It's like 136 million or something like that. Um, so even if your, your audience is Gen Z and more of them are on TikTok, there's still a huge number of them that are active on Instagram. So it's, it's never to say like, you're not going to find your audience there. But I do think that once you start going into the older, uh, generations like boomers, it's a lot less likely that your audience is going to be on Instagram than they are on Facebook. So it's looking at your audience, figuring out where do they live. Um, But it could also just be the type of course that you have as well, right? Because I already know that there's a lot of publicists, journalists, PR people, writers all on Twitter that sometimes don't have Instagram accounts. So you really have to kind of do your own market research when it comes to, okay, well, who am I serving? Who am I trying to attract? And where are they most active based on what makes sense, right? The uh, the feedback from people that attended the workshop and watched the replay for uh, Inside of OCG Coaching was extremely positive. Well, thanks again for doing that. Um, but there was one, there was one guy in particular that is, is, is very anti-Instagram. And that's, that was mm-hmm. kind of my thought when asking you the last question. Um, he was very skeptical, uh, pre your workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was trying to get him to, um, to consider Instagram. His only traffic source up to this point, I think is just a podcast. Um, nothing against that. That's my main traffic mm-hmm. source for the online course guy. But what he said was like pre-workshop, he said, um, I'm not too sure about Instagram. Um, I don't think it's a, a, a likely avenue for me because my content tends to, tends to be deeper and longer form than memes and such. And then after the workshop, I, I like, I was like, look, just go like attend the workshop, mm-hmm. check it out. Like, let's, let's give it a fair shot. And he said that he couldn't make it all the way through. Um, and I'm not going to call this person out by name, uh, no. by the way, I'm, this is anonymous, but he said he couldn't make it all the way through. That's how much I'm turned off by it and social media in general. Um, also why would I market on a platform that I myself find completely unappealing and don't want to use? I prefer depth over superficiality. Mm-hmm. The content I personally am attracted to tends to be longer form example, articles, longer form videos and podcasts. Is that fair? I mean, anything is fair. Like I'm, I'm never going to be the coach or strategist that is dragging people tooth and nail to post on Instagram. You won't find if, if somebody comes into my DMS and they want me to convince them why they should be on Instagram, I won't do it. I have no interest in convincing people who have a very clear and strong misunderstanding and mindset block around it because you know, what I'm hearing him say is he doesn't believe you can create long form content, uh, content on Instagram. The reality is you can go live for, I think up to three hours. So if you want to create long form content on Instagram, you can do that. But the thing with Instagram is you have to create some sort of variety and whether or not there's a new feature and they're, you know, for a while, they were kind of boosting reels way more than other pieces of content because they really wanted people to start using reels. But 
One thing that Instagram has never gone back on is saying that the best way to get the most reach from your content is to use all of its surfaces. So that means create longer form content when you go live. That means create shorter form content in the form of reels. That means create the graphic content. Um, so I've seen some incredibly detailed, uh, like probably at least thousand word carousel posts. Mm -hmm which then have 2,500 character limit as the caption. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's possibility there if people will be open-minded enough to learn how the platform works so that they can make it work for them. Um, the other thing is if you're already creating long-form content, like, you know, you're, I know you record these videos, but you don't actually publish them, but theoretically, not you yet. Theoretically, you could edit this recording and create shorter form clips from it to post on Instagram, which would then drive traffic to your podcast. So the thing that I, I, I want people to kind of take away from this specific conversation is that the end goal is not create Instagram content. The end goal is create this kind of ecosystem of content that refers back to each other and that all drive in to your funnel to make you money. And if you are so fixed in your belief about a platform that you are willing to deny yourself income from it, then that is maybe something to work with a coach on or a therapist. <laughs> That's, I think that's really well said. I mean, I, I totally see both sides of this person's argument. He's like, it's just, mm -hmm. it's not his jam. He doesn't do social media. I'm not a huge social media uh, fan to begin with. I don't, I don't scroll through reels a lot. I, I block the newsfeed on, on Facebook and other mm -hmm. social media platforms. I'm not a huge user of social media, but I, I, I see the appeal uh, from a business perspective of being on there. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, to your point, like it doesn't, it doesn't have to just fall into this one bucket or one category. Like there are ways to put short form content, uh, on there. And then I would also argue that it could be like in this particular, in his case, if, if he really values the long form content, the short form could be a funnel to the long form content exactly. or something. And you could be this, people could be discovering you that wouldn't have, they, they could discover the long form content that wouldn't have gotten there mm -hmm. otherwise. And yeah, so I, mean, I really see both sides. hundred percent. I have found podcasts because I followed the person who started the podcast on social before they had the podcast, right? Um, there is the potential to reach, I think it's now close to 2 million people or 2 billion people on Instagram, right? Um, and for free, right? The, the, the fee to to play is just create the content, spend the time and the money and the resources to create the content and to participate on the platform. And if the content is good, it will do well, people will find it and you will, you know, have another audience that you can then draw from. But, you know, it's like I said, I, uh, I'm not here to convince anyone or, or, um, you know, all I can do is explain the ways in which, people have misunderstood the platform, which does happen quite often. Um, but otherwise, you know, people are free. They have free will. They're free to make their own decisions about where they market their business. 
Yeah, but I, I think most most of the content, um, ways to put content out there on Instagram would be classified more as the shorter form content. Mm-hmm. And one one change in terms of my recommendations over the past you know six months or so is I've always been very very high on my recommendation to have a YouTube channel um, as one of your main traffic sources for an online course business. But what I've found is that the barrier to that for a lot of people is 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 high because mm-hmm. YouTube is longer form, right? T- typically, YouTube videos like minimum five minutes can be 10, 15, 20, even 30 minutes long. Um, and for, especially if you're just starting out, it, it can be hard to, to make a, a video that that's that long, that's not boring <laughs> at all. Right. And yeah. so instead of starting with YouTube, let's start with something like Instagram, Instagram reels mm-hmm. with the shorter form content. It's easier to make a single piece of content. Um, there's less, there's less barriers to getting it out there. And then you can maybe do more of those. And then the ones that like stick and resonate more, then maybe we can turn those into the longer form, like a YouTube video or something. Exactly. I think that's fair. Yeah. And I think also, you know, when you're creating content, like uh, talking about those tweet carousels, for example, one of my most common recommendations for people who are not sure what kind of short form video content to create is to take one of those carousels that performed really well and use it as a script to then create a reel. You already have it written. The script is right there for you. And the good thing about reels is that you don't have to get it all in one take. You don't have to sit there and memorize your lines like an actor. You can literally look at the tweet, read one sentence to your phone, stop recording, read the next line, go back to your phone. Like It can be clips where each sentence is a new clip. And in fact, statistically, that tends to retain attention better than one single long winded video. People like there to be some visual distinction between one clip and the next. So even if one, you zoom in a little bit, one, you zoom out, maybe you turn slightly to the right, you turn slightly to the left. If there's some visual kind of dynamics, it also helps people to, uh, or it helps you to retain the attention of the, the viewers who are watching it. One of the other things that uh, really stood out to me when you were given the the presentation, I think you said it toward the beginning, and I'm going to totally butcher the exact words you said, but I think it was something to the effect of of like if 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 you if you're making content, you're on Instagram, and like it's not performing super well, like Instagram doesn't hate you, the algorithm doesn't hate you. Mm-hmm. It's um it's it, it, it's uh it's in the business of putting content in front of, pe- uh, of people that th- they're actually going to watch and stick around and, and watch a lot of the content and so on. I know I totally butchered it, but you know what I'm talking <laughs> about? Cause you could probably yes. put it so much more eloquently. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this goes back to the idea that Instagram wants people to spend as much time on the platform as possible. So it's going to reward content that maintains attention or that retains attention. The key kind of measurement that I want people to keep in mind is that there are five ways that Instagram measures how good a piece of content is. And the number one way they measure is time spent on the content. So even if somebody doesn't like the post, they don't comment on the post, they don't share it, they don't save it, they do nothing, but they spend five minutes looking at it, that piece of content is going to get boosted. So when you think about it that way, it's like, they are rewarding content that keeps people on the app. And that's as simple as it is. So if people aren't spending time on your content, 
the content will not do well. And conversely, or yeah, conversely, they, uh, like if someone is spending time on your content, they're going back to your content, they're sharing it with people, they're doing all of those things, then it's going to perform even better. And so two things to keep in mind about that is that carousel posts almost always are going to perform better than standalone feed posts. So if you have one post that just has an image or one graphic, sometimes one of those can perform well. If it's like a really, you know, riveting, captivating quote that people want to share, sometimes that can perform really well. But the likelihood of it is a lot less than if you have a carousel that has somewhere between eight and 10 images in it, because it takes people longer to swipe through the carousel and get to the end. So that is going to get people to spend more time on it, which is going to send a signal to Instagram that that piece of content is particularly valuable. Um, The other thing to keep in mind is with video. We have an abundance of statistics uh, across marketing, not just social media, that tells us that video retains and converts viewers better than any other form of content. As a result, that plays into how people, you know, consume content on Instagram. So thinking about it this way, someone, uh, a a friend of mine who's in the industry, she's an influencer marketing. Her name is Lisette Calviero. She, uh, she asked her boyfriend one day, what would you rather do? Sit on your phone for 30 minutes and look at pictures or sit on your phone for 30 minutes and watch videos. And as probably most people on like listening now and most people in the world would probably say, most people would prefer to sit on their phone and watch videos rather than sit on their phone and look at pictures. Uh, So keeping that in mind, those are the two really kind of the biggest pieces of content that I recommend to people to make sure that they are using, whether it is, you know, they don't need to dance. You don't need to lip sync. You don't need to do any of this stuff that feels inauthentic to you, but you do need to show up and be able to have these kinds of conversations with people where you're helping them and you're, you know, adding value and solving their problems and earning their trust. Uh, And video really does that incredibly well, probably better than any other format also. Absolutely. I, I would imagine almost everybody would say that's the case. I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll be scrolling through pictures on my phone, like my, my photos app on my phone and I'll come across a video. I'll be like, Ooh, like it's like, a, it's, it's like pictures and videos of my kids. And I get yeah. so much more enjoyment out of finding the video and watching the video mm-hmm. versus the pictures. Mm-hmm. So same Yeah. And I think thing. there's a statistic out there that says that the number one regret in uh, the wedding industry is that people don't hire a wedding videographer. That's like the number one regret of couples is that they didn't spend money on a videographer because you can look at pictures and you can see moments, but you can watch a video and you can relive a memory, right? So we didn't hire a, a videographer. We <laughs> asked some family to uh, to to take some footage. Uh, yeah. I got married in 2011, so I mean, cameras are a yeah. lot better today. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe maybe my my family members just didn't have very good cameras, so they captured <laughs> some footage. It just wasn't super high quality, but we had the footage. But we like since we didn't hire it out, like they didn't edit a video together for us. Right. So we just yeah. sat on the footage forever. But I, uh, I know a little bit about video editing now because of the work mm-hmm. that I do. And so for our 10-year anniversary last year, I put together, finally, like, put footage together and made this really cool uh, video from our wedding 10 years later. That totally must have been so special. Totally special, though. And it just c- kind of goes into reinforcing how 
powerful video can be because you sat on that video for 10 years before you did anything with it. And then you turned it into something really magical and special. I learned how to waltz for our first dance and I am not a dancer, but you like, you wouldn't (laughs) have been able to tell that from pictures probably, but we have it all on video. I waltz and I was super rigid and, and, and could tell I was like super focused and wasn't having the best of times, but darn it. My first dance was a waltz. That's it. (laughs) So what has been your best performing piece of content ever? Interestingly, uh, across platforms, it's been Twitter. So I have one tweet that, you know what, now I should just go back and check it because it still performs. Uh, And this is the case across social media platforms. I will say a lot of people tend to think that, uh, and this is partly, I guess, the internet's fault for continuing to circulate these kind of (laughs) graphics that say like, oh, this is the lifespan of a tweet and this is the lifespan of a YouTube video and this is the lifespan of uh, Instagram post. But none of those are based on current data. All of them are based on data from like 2011. Um, so now all of these platforms have a much longer shelf life, which probably Instagram and Twitter are still on like the lower end of that uh, that range. I think YouTube and probably podcasts and probably blogs have a little bit of a longer shelf life generally. But um, my top performing posts on Twitter, let me see, I have to pull these up. Um, I have one one tweet that was uh, basically me complaining, which people love, FYI, on Twitter. Um, People love when you complain on Twitter. Uh, This one... Is not letting me see my tweets. Hold on. Uh, okay. So it's had 7,149 retweets, 1,054 quote tweets, which means that somebody retweeted it, but then added something to it. And then it has 24.8 thousand likes. Uh, that's one of my top performing ones. I had another um, tweet that went really viral the other week. Um that the video from it now has 18.5 million views. It's been retweeted 806 times, has 2,200 likes. Um, And the reason why the video has so many more views than actual retweets is because people took the video and then retweeted it with their own content. I ended up being like contacted by news agencies in Japan to like use the footage. It's like not my footage because like I took it from somebody else's thing. So I had to be like, go find them. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's wild. And then um, I have one or two on Instagram that have performed like particularly well. If I go into my insights, Um, I wish I had that overhead thing that you have the filming (laughs) it's nice it's nice but that's only because i'm a piano teacher and that's a requirement as an online piano teacher to have the overhead view it's kind of hard to teach piano if you can't see my fingers on the keys but as an added bonus when i'm showing somebody instagram on my phone i can switch over to that overhead view that's smart yeah i literally have a camera screwed into my ceiling (laughs) wow really yeah Mm -hmm. like it just always lives there yeah, just, yeah, it always lives there. It always lives wow. there. I used to have this uh, like rig, like with with metal bars and stuff. But yeah, um, when I moved into this space, like it's more part. It's the only. It's, this is my studio. This is my recording studio. This is my office. Yeah. And I've been in this room for shoot five years now, probably. 
And so I'm like, why not? I'm just going to screw it right to the, to the ceiling. Yeah. Cause, and why I use not? it almost every day. I thought maybe you had like a rig, like, I mean, I guess um, it is a rig. It's just in your ceiling, but I thought maybe it was like a whole, anyway, a crane. <laughs> I'm not your average podcast host, Allie. <laughs> I was impressed. I honestly, it's like, that's my biggest takeaway is like, do I need one of those? <laughs> Look, but seriously though, as somebody that specializes in, in Instagram and social media, Mm -hmm. which is primarily a a mobile phone based thing, you could be, but, but, but it's so easy to don't, don't they have like ways to get it on your screen? Yeah, it's really easy. Um, which is probably why I'm not going to invest thousands of dollars in rigging something, a camera to my ceiling. No, no, but see what you don't understand is screwing it to the ceiling is actually the cheapest way to do it. Ah, yes. All right. I feel like I'm getting there. It's like, you know, on Instagram, I'm not sure if you're familiar. Um, your insights only go back two years. No, because I don't know much about Instagram. I'm still oh, well, learning. There you go. So um, I use another app, which honestly probably would have taken me less time had I just switched to my computer. But um, I, on Instagram, you can only go back in your insights, two years. Of course, if you want, you can go back in your feed and just scroll, 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 which is what I just did um, to find this post in particular, um, which has 22,384 likes on it. Um, it says it was shared only 362 times, but I think the insights might be off because at one point I was testing something and I switched my account from um business to personal. And when I did, I mm. lost all of my insights on my content. <laughs> Oof. So it still maintains the likes, but all of the other insights are started from scratch. So prior to this, it was in the at least tens of thousands. Like I think I remember the reach was in the 70,000 to hundred thousand range. Um, now it says the reach is like 2630 because that's just how much it gained from when I switched my account from business to personal and then back to creator. Um, so that's something to keep in mind for all of those, those of you who are listening. Uh, if you want insights on your account, uh, you have to have an, a creator or a business account. If you switch back to a personal account for any reason, you're going to lose all of your data. Um, so proceed with caution. Got it. So do you, do you consult with people on other social media platforms or is it just Instagram? It's predominantly Instagram, but I do what I call cross-platform optimization, which is to say, I don't, I'm not a TikTok or Twitter expert. I would consider myself an Instagram expert and I would consider myself an overall marketing strategy professional. I know how to build out a solid strategy. And as a result, I can tell you how to optimize what you're creating on all of those platforms to then repurpose for each other, right? So it's kind of like what I was saying to you before. Take that Twitter thread, use it as a script to create a video. Take that video, put it on Instagram, put it on TikTok. Take the concepts, the overarching, say there's like three main points from that, and create a shorter video on the exact same topic. The thing that you want to keep in mind is that your content is always going to be consumed in isolation. So it's really rare that someone is actually on your profile and binging your content the way you kind of mentioned you were doing earlier. That happens once in a blue moon. Most of the people who are consuming content are consuming it in their feed amongst all of these other posts from all of these other people. So you can create more than one piece of content on the exact same piece of 
uh, information around the exact same topic. And you're not going to fatigue your audience because they're not going to see it sequentially. Got it. Makes sense. Is there a reason? So if I'm if I'm gonna make a 60 second video uh, and and plan to post it on as a reel on Instagram, is there any reason not to just go ahead and upload it to TikTok and YouTube Shorts at the same time? There's no reason not to. You should. <laughs> it doesn't matter when it happens because the other thing you want to remember is that people aren't always on the same apps and they don't necessarily follow you on multiple platforms. The crossover that you get tends to be people who are kind of diehards, um, your biggest fans, and they those are the only people who are seeing your content across multiple platforms, maybe on the same day, right? The same piece of content. Um, if you want to be fancy about it, you can mix it up and post them on different days. I usually recommend posting somewhere between uh, a week and three weeks apart, depending on if the content is actually time sensitive or not. Um, but besides that people's attention span and their ability to even retain information is so small that the likelihood of them even noticing that the same, they saw the same thing twice, um, is slim. My only sticking point to that so far has been, um, the length that the different platforms allow for, mm -hmm. for a single video. Yeah. And so we've been, we've been making a lot of like right at 90 second videos because that's the max for yeah. Instagram reels. Mm -hmm. And I, I just start, you know, recording. I don't really know how long it's going to, going to be. I know I've got to go, you know, I've got to get to the point. Quick, I've got to yeah. do the hook and the content and the call to action, everything as quickly as possible. But they, they usually end up one fifteen to one thirty. Uh, but YouTube shorts, I'm pretty sure is a 60 second max. And then and I wouldn't be surprised if they'll extend. Yeah, They're right. All, I think they keep know. increasing. I think TikTok's <laughs> yeah. now up to 10 minutes even, right? Yeah. But it's uh, frustrating when we go through all this effort to make a really nice mm -hmm. video and then I can't, I can't put it on YouTube short. So should I start making content that is only as long as the shortest one or like not worry about it? It depends. I mean, it depends how much time you have, right? Because then the other option is if you have that same script and you want to create a 90 second one for Instagram or a three minute one for TikTok, then let's talk about, okay, well, what can we remove from that to make a shorter video? Um, even if you're saying most of the same things, uh, if you have the time to be able to sit there and, and re like remove some things from that script and re-record for a different platform, Again, there's no reason not to. If you can optimize for a platform, you should. But if you don't have the time, then what you are suggesting, which is you know record for the shortest uh, option, is probably the best choice. So you used to be Ali, the well, you used to be the yoga instructor, I guess, and and you were the agency owner, and now you're yeah. the the Instagram coach. Are you also Ali, the course creator at all? Not yet. Um, uh -oh. I'm thinking of being Ali, the membership, uh, person. I don't know what to call that membership creator, um, which will probably be formatted something like a course, but it's going to be more live. The thing with Instagram, unfortunately, is that there are so many updates that to have a course that is evergreen is practically impossible. <laughs> right. Uh, to have a marketing one that might be a little bit different, but I'm not quite there yet. 
working when can on the we, membership. When can we expect this membership? People want to know, I'm sure. Probably within the next month, honestly. It's very Whoa. close. Yeah, it's very close. How's it, so like, uh, what, how's it going to work? Is it going to be like a lot of, is it, is it more like group coaching or are you going to have some pre-recorded content and have to update it frequently? How's it going to work? So it's mostly going to be live content that's then going to be uh, hosted in a, a catalog or a library. Uh, so people don't have to obviously attend the live um, presentation, but it, it'll be, you know, available for them whenever they want to watch it. Uh, so even if you were to join, say, in month three and you wanted to go back and, and review some of the foundational stuff from month one, you can go ahead and do that. Um there's going to be a bunch of resources, worksheets, other kinds of things that will support the work. Because one of the things with creating a social media strategy is, you know, I can tell you what to do all day long, but if you don't actually sit down and do the steps that are required, it probably is not going to work the way you want it to. And I'll say that's honestly one of the reasons why Spencer at Toddlers Can Read has done so well. Um, as a teacher himself, um, he was one of my best students. Honestly, everything I suggested he did in terms of work sheets, in terms of, uh, you know, reading re about resources and, and doing kind of the, the step by step he followed and did it really, really like with excellence. <laughs> so uh, he saw the results that he put in, right? The effort he put in, he saw back in the results. I, I completely agree. He was he was a mm -hmm. phenomenal student. Mm -hmm. uh, I, have, I have some people that that'll be like, you know, Jacques, why? Like, if, you know, we've been working together for months now. Why isn't this stuff working? It's like, mm -hmm. look, you, you've done 15% of what I've asked you to do. Yeah. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So, and so, I think that's why I'm excited about the membership also, because uh, it can be a lot to work in just like a one-on-one -on -one session one time and then have to take all of that information and implement it on your own. So this is a little bit more of a slow, a slow burn. It's like hand holding me, me walking you to school, you know, a little bit more, uh, slower paced versus the, the strategy sessions I do with people, the one-off one hour strategy sessions, those can be a lot that the information from that takes anywhere from three to eight weeks to implement. And if you aren't the type of person who, uh, you know, is motivated enough to do that on your own or who gets overwhelmed easily when you don't have someone who you can ask questions to. That's how I identify. I'm one of those people. Um, then it can be really difficult to take all of that information and try to uh, try to implement it on your own. So hopefully the membership will help with that as well. Yeah. I mean, we're still trying to, to, to parse through and, and implement uh, things from the two hour workshop you did for us mm -hmm. over a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, it can, it can certainly be a lot. So yeah. what, what type of person is a good fit for this membership? Anybody who is, considers themselves an entrepreneur. So anyone who, predominantly people who have personal brands. So if you're the face of your brand, you're going to fit really, really well into this membership. Uh, so that can include course creators, although there are some course creators who maybe are trying to not be the face of their brand on social. Uh, I don't know how well that's going to work, but um, I've worked almost exclusively with personal brands since 2013. Um, but the, these kinds of principles really apply to, to anyone who wants to build their social media business. Does it matter? What, what if somebody like doesn't have a single social media account? Is it for beginners to social media or is it for more, more people like established? It's for people looking to get who are bigger? at least on social <laughs> 
So you should have your social media accounts set up. Um, but you can be like, you could have no idea what you're doing. We're going to go from the very beginning, like foundational information that you need. That is not just foundational to social media, but really foundational to your business and how you conceptualize the content that you create. Um, and working all the way through the process of, you know, really stretching out that whole, uh, strategy that I create for people, um, when they work with me one-on-one. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because this episode is probably not going to come out for at least a month. Like where, like you want to say no, where people could go to learn, they, to learn more about this or what? I mean, the best place for you to go to learn about anything I do is going to be my Instagram account, honestly. So that Allie Mason on Instagram, um, and that's that. And then A-L-L-I-E-M-A-S-O-N, like the jar. Um, and if you want to go to my website, it's somethinggreatersocial.com. And the only thing that I ask is that you make sure you put two G's, something greater social. <laughs> Sometimes people just put one and then they get redirected. I should buy that domain. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's where you could go to find all of the things. Okay. So somethinggreatersocial.com, that Ali Mason on Instagram. I imagine you probably have a similar handle on, on most social They're platforms. They're all the same. Yeah. Find me on Twitter, TikTok. I actually don't, I think my YouTube is something greater, but I don't really, I don't post to it. So come on, got to get into it. <laughs> all right. Maybe Allie. I will after this conversation, I'll get on shorts. This has been a pleasure as usual. So we Likewise. will, uh, let's call it there, but thank you so much. Um, we'll certainly include those links in the show notes and whatnot, but uh, thanks thank for being so generous with your time yet again and dropping uh, so much value for us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Happy to come chat anytime. Well, there you have the conversation between myself and Allie Mason. Once again, she is from a something greater social com. Always a pleasure talking with Allie. And if you're not aware, we are right in the middle of our kind of relaunch of OCG Coaching. We've got some special bonuses available for you this week, some special pricing available for you this week. You'll find training, uh, you'll find Instagram training, for example, right inside of OCG Coaching because I do the majority of the training inside of there. But when I find that there is a need that I don't feel like I'm necessarily qualified to teach on. I go out and I find an expert. We've done this many times now. And so we have really an entire course uh, on Instagram, succeeding on uh, Instagram as a course creator inside of OCG Coaching that is led by Allie Mason. And that's just one of the many things you could expect to find inside of there. And so if you're interested in having a wildly successful online course business, whether you need help with the traffic piece or some other piece of the business or all the pieces of the business, OCG coaching is for course creators to get to a maximum place of just profit, freedom, impact in your business. And so I want to extend the invitation to you to go to ocgcoaching.com where you can find all the details about it, how it works, pricing, and everything this launch period only has a couple of days left. So if you're listening to this episode, you're watching this episode well into the future, then this particular offer might be expired. But if you're catching this episode fresh, you have until the end of October 7th to take advantage of the current offer, which once again, you can find at ocgcoaching.com. So if you're interested, check it out there. This has been episode 189 of the Online Course Show, all about Instagram and using it as a tool to help increase course sales. You can find all the show notes from today and links by going to oc.show slash 189. 
thank you so much for being out there and listening to this. I appreciate that you keep coming back for more of the podcast or for those of you that are new, welcome. And I look forward to maybe meeting you one day, interacting with you one way or another, or maybe, hey, you'll be a part of OCG Coaching. Either way, thanks for being here and we'll catch you in the next one. Take care, everyone.